Welcome to the Kingdom Convos podcast. This is your host, Diane Wong, and I believe that the best story to share is your story. Featuring church and industry leaders, practitioners, and other guest speakers, our goal is to make conversation on God's kingdom through storytelling. I pray that these conversations would ripple out into your local communities, organizations, and beyond. Hey, Kim, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Glad to connect. So Dr. Kim Zovac is an experienced coach, trainer, and leadership consultant, and she works globally with business and nonprofit leaders and mission organizations. She lived abroad for 14 years in Australia and China and holds a Master's of Divinity and Doctorate of Ministry from Fuller Seminary. Kim also holds an MCC coaching credential with the International Coaching Federation, and she is also an ordained pastor. So it is definitely an honor and privilege to have Kim here with us today, and we will actually be talking about applying coaching techniques in the church to strengthen the discipleship process. And to start, Kim, would you be able to just share a little bit of your story and how you became a professional coach? Um, I was involved in student ministry back when I was a college student and post-college. And in student ministry that I was in with InterVarsity, I knew it was really important to meet with people one-on-one, that that was a key part of the discipleship process. And I'd been mentored well, and that was the air I breathed in that season of life. And so fast forward a few years, I'd gone to seminary. My husband and I were both associate pastors at a medium-sized church. And here I was, the associate pastor of um, discipleship and leadership at a church. And the leaders that were on the teams I was overseeing, um, most of them, all but one of them were older than I was. You know, at the time I was in my early 30s. And, you know, some of the people were the same age as my parents. And while I knew it was important to meet one-on-one and it was important to go and get to know them in the places where they worked rather than have them come, you know, to the church office, I didn't know what to do when I was actually with them. Because in student ministry, there's the presumption that you're older, they're younger, you encourage them, you've got wisdom because you've been there, done that. Where I thought the man that was leading the lay counseling program was the same age as my dad. What did I have to offer him? And it was really in that era that I stumbled across coaching and realized that it was a tool I could use to be intentional in facilitating learning-oriented conversations, not because I was the expert, but because I could facilitate a dialogue. Through that time of being a pastor, my husband and I eventually went overseas and um, realized it's not the only tool in my tool bag, but it was really my most used tool in my tool bag, whether I was Um, meeting with someone one-on-one or my husband and I were missionaries and involved in leadership development. It became the the number one tool I was using. And it was out of that space that more people asked me to train them in these coaching skills. And that's what pushed me into the professional space was because I realized, hey, to to stay one step ahead of the game, I need to get some, some professional training and accreditation so people know that the skills and frameworks I'm teaching aren't just fly by night, throw together, you know, kind of Christian second, second tier kind of stuff, but it's really professional level training and professional level competencies and frameworks. And they, they jive so well with my Christian worldview as well as the professional coaching world that as I, as I explored that space, it became clear that the, the integration was really important to the kind of ministry that I could have and the kind of equipping I could do with others. 
It's awesome to hear that your love for coaching actually came from the discipleship process and came from an overflow of what you were already doing with the discipleship process. So before we go any further, I know that coaching is kind of a newer concept to a lot of people. People know about mentoring, about therapy, but coaching is kind of just like, what exactly is that? So could you explain to the listeners what coaching really is? Sure. Well, I can first explain what it isn't, because I think when people first hear the word coach, they think of the first thing that comes to mind is a sports coach, somebody on the sidelines yelling into the game (laughs) with lots of animated energy and sometimes angry, (laughs) you know, yelling and yelling, where in the professional coaching world, we would say coaching really is an intentional conversation that empowers a person or group to fully live out God's calling. Um, or I've also heard it says that coaching is helping people discover what God wants them to do and being able to do it. And instead of standing on the sidelines yelling, it's really a more a companion in a conversational process. I think coaching as a sports coach and coaching in this professional coaching capacity both come from the, the, the root concept, which was a stage coach. You know, those old time wagony coaches on wheels pulled by a horse that really was to help people get from one point to another point on a journey. And my guess is the words both come from that original word, but have very different connotations in our culture today. But a journey companion is another way to describe a coach. Hmm. I love that description of coaching because you're helping people get from one destination to another. And I think that's such a cool profession to be a part of. What about coaching do you think makes it effective? I think the thing that makes it so effective is Coaching is all about helping people solve their own problems and building capacity within themselves. You know, I think so often in the Christian world, we want to help people, and that's a good desire, but we're limited in the tools we have. We either want to give advice and fix their problems, or we tend to want to offer pastoral care and just listen. Now, there's a time and place where both of those are very effective, but there's a lot of time that we want to be able to do other things, and that's where I think coaching can come in, because it's not advice-giving. We don't presume that we know best, but it's not just completely staying out of the space. We're really catalytic thinking partners that help the person to process whatever they want to process, involving good listening, but not just to sit with them in that place, but to actually help them unlock and solve some of their own issues. And in doing that, we help them build their own reflective capacity, um, which is part of their own personal growth journey, isn't it? Hmm. So how is coaching different than therapy or consulting or mentoring? Oh, goodness. There's a variety of ways to answer that. You know, I've heard it said that mentoring puts it in and coaching pulls it out. Um, There's also another way to look at therapy and say, well, therapy is really focused on looking back with a healing focus and coaching is more focused on empowering people to move forward. And I don't think those are bad definitions, but it presumes that there's only one definition of coaching and one definition of mentoring and one definition of therapy. And as we know, there's so many different types of therapy and so many different types of mentoring. And so what I like to do when people ask me the difference is I get out a piece of paper and I draw a a, a grid. And on the x-axis, I write asking at one point and telling at the other point. And then on the y-axis, I put helper's agenda on one side and uh, helpies agenda on the other side. And so when people ask me, where does coaching fit? Well, coaching obviously is one where the predominant methodology is asking, not telling, And the agenda is primarily the other person's agenda. And so we put that clearly in that quadrant. And then I ask them, so where would you put some of these other professions? And depending on how they define counseling or mentoring or consulting, they can see where it overlaps. 
and the similarities are and where there might be some nuanced difference. But I think the, the key distinctives with coaching is it's about asking and it's really about the other person's agenda. As a mentor, I may use coaching skills um, or as a boss, I may use coaching skills, but in pure coaching, I'd say it's all about the other person's agenda as opposed to perhaps if I'm mentoring someone or I'm their boss, I may use coaching skills in the context of helping within another role. Thank you for clearly defining all of those terms because I know that sometimes it can get jumbled and people get all of that confused. So I know that you travel around the world a lot. You do coaching globally. So how have you been able to implement your coaching background into missions work and into the church? Oh, goodness. Well, you know, I feel like hopefully I'm integrating coaching into the various roles I have at home too, but certainly globally. Um, I do a lot of coaching training, so I'm equipping a lot of missionaries and mission agency leaders and national leaders to use the coaching skills. Um, and so that's a big part of how I'm using coaching is to equip, as an equipping tool. Um, I see churches using coaching in the, the, the framework of coaching and the values of coaching a lot in how they think about evangelism, right? Rather than evangelism as we tell our story, it's, hey, how do we help other people um, to look at their own worldview? And we use questions and interests and drawing them out to talk about themselves rather than us just kind of jamming something at them. Similarly, we, I see lots of churches using the coaching framework in terms of the discipleship. Rather than have a cookie cutter program, instead they're able to say, hey, how do we actually help customize the kind of equipping and discipling we're doing to the real life context that the people that we're trying to work with are in? And being able to create re reflective questions to help them connect with God in those spaces and to grow, see the growth opportunities. It's awesome to hear how coaching is being utilized around the world to equip people and empower people. Do you have a story that you can share about how a church leader or a pastor is implementing coaching into their church? Well, I certainly don't think everybody needs to be a professional coach, but I do think that every leader or pastor or any kind of leader needs to be able to learn to use coaching skills. You know, it's not the only skill that they could use, but it certainly is one that there's so many ramifications. And so as you asked me about how have I seen that in the church, I think one of the, the biggest shifts I've seen is actually a pastor I know in Asia. And she was realizing that um, her tendency as a pastor and because of her background was to give advice. And yet when she came to a workshop, she realized that it wasn't just about giving advice because she thought, hey, if I give people advice, that'll use my wisdom and maturity and they'll be able to mature. And as she came to a workshop, she realized, hey, helping people isn't just about giving them the answer because when I give them the answer, so to speak, or give them advice and they go and do it and it doesn't work out, they come back and blame me and they don't grow and they don't trust God. But when I can use these coaching skills and instead help them to come up with the best answer, when it doesn't work out for them, they can come back, we can talk about it. And it's part of their learning journey that rather than blame me, I can say, well, what did you learn? What might you try differently next time? And it becomes an opportunity for spiritual formation and for growth. And so in talking to her, I could see that for her to shift her mindset around um, telling people what to do is the best way to, to help people grow as Christians to actually helping join the work that God's already doing in the person's life to help them grow and develop through a more reflective process actually would build better disciples and grow more leaders in our church and could see that if she did that for others, they naturally were wanting to do that to the people in their small groups and on their leadership teams. It sounds like 
coaching is able to take some pressure off of pastors, but also coaching is able to give people more accountability to their spiritual growth. And I think that is so, so important because a lot of people rely on pastors and their church leaders for their own growth, but coaching kind of throws the ball in their court and says, okay, like, here's the ball, like, what are you going to do with it? So I think coaching is such a powerful tool. And I think that because coaching is so new to a lot of people, would you be able to outline what a coaching conversation would look like? Well, the gist of a coaching conversation, um, we say coach, there's two purposes in coaching. One is to increase awareness and the other is to increase responsibility. So we could use that kind of conversation. Um, you know, I remember when I went to my son's back to school night when he was five and the teacher said, hey, don't pack your kid's school bag. Instead, ask them, what do you need to have in your bag? And I think that kind of coaching conversation illustrates just using simple questions to help increase awareness and increase responsibility in the other person. Similarly, I think when I'm in a, a work context or a ministry context and somebody comes and says, Kim, Kim, what should I do? I'm thinking about, hey, rather than just telling them what to do and getting an answer as quick as I can and getting out the door, I think, let me just take two or three minutes to have a process that will increase awareness and increase responsibility. In my head, I'm thinking um, about three things. I'm thinking, what do I do to clarify what they need? What do I do to increase the awareness around their options? And then what do I do to help um, support them in moving forward or action? And so if you came to me, Diane, and said, hey, Kim, I've got this issue. I don't know what to do with it. I might say, so what do you think is the key issue underneath that? That would be clarifying. What is it that you need? What are you looking for in this conversation? And then I might ask you, so what are your options? Or if you had a magic wand, what would you do? Some kind of question that would help open up some new awareness for you and have a conversation. And then I might ask you something. So given the things we're talking about, what's your sense of the next step forward? Kind of what are you going to do next? I can take a whole, whole hour and draw all that process out longer in an hour professional coaching appointment in the business world or with leaders, but I can also do it in three minutes with friends, with direct reports, or with people in my small group when they come, quote unquote, seeking advice to be able to turn the tables a bit and help them to come up with some of their own ideas. It sounds like coaching is almost answering a question with a question. And a lot of people would see that as almost ineffective or you're just avoiding the question altogether, but it sounds like it could be more effective. So if coaching is about asking effective questions and truly listening to people and helping them find the answer within themselves, what are a few questions that could never go wrong that a lot of people can just pull out of their pocket and use? Well, I think a useful one for us, and again, I don't want to be manipulative. So if you come asking me for advice, I don't want to be manipulative, but I want to be able to say, Diane, what in particular are you asking for? What, what kind of answer are you looking for? And find out before I just, I think too often we answer too quickly, as I am in this podcast, <laughs> right? You build me up as an expert, I answer quickly, versus just slowing down and say, what in particular are you looking for in this interaction? I think that's a great conversation we can ask regularly. What do you need from me right now? What are you looking for? And then we can use the coaching skills to pull it out. Because even if we are going to give advice, our advice comes after we find out what they really need and know rather than just too quickly, prematurely, where we end up not really scratching where they itch. So I think, a, I guess your question is, what, what are some go-to questions? I think, what do you need from me right now? What do you need in this conversation? Those are go-tos for me. As I'm meeting with people, I often ask um, 
you know, if they've shared a big story with me or something like that, or they've shared some different ideas, I might say, so what new awareness is emerging for you as we talk? Or as you shared that, that story, what awareness comes to you or what insights emerge for you? Because again, I'm trying to create a reflective pro process for their discovery rather than give my input. If you came to me and said, hey, Kim, I want some advice, I might say, well, before I give you advice, let me find out a little bit more about what you're looking for. And I'd ask some of those kind of questions. And then maybe at the end, I might be able to say, well, as I've heard you talk, here's the thing I'm wondering about. My advice comes into a much more tilt place of where the soil has been tilled rather than uh, irrelevant, the first thing that comes to mind, rather than something that might be helpful to where you're really stuck. Those are some really good go-to questions that I feel like a lot of people can really integrate into their conversations. And coaching really is a profession. It, it really is something that people get a lot of training for. So for pastors and church leaders who don't really have the, the capacity to go to these trainings, what are three skills that they can put into practice to become better coaches where they are? Hmm. Well, the key skills in coaching are building rapport, listening, and asking questions. And so I think we can all do a lot to improve our ability to have relationships of trust, right? We can uh, be on time. We can honor the person by showing that we're attending to them, not looking at our watch, putting our phone away, right? All those things that build trust and rapport are so important. And we don't need training need practice. It's like going to the gym. <laughs> we need to strengthen those muscles to be able to do that versus we need more information about how to do that better. I also think to listen better is for us to pay more attention to, to how we listen. You know, am I listening so I can talk or am I listening out of a place of curiosity? Am I listening to connect with them, to use it as creating a safe place so they can actually listen to themselves in a non-judgmental way. So listening is key. And there's a lot of ways that I think we can listen better. I would say the best way to think about how can I listen better is go ask your kids, <laughs> how can I listen better this week? Or go ask your direct reports. How can I listen better and get some ideas and practice one or two of those things. And I guess the other thing you asked was just the skill of asking questions. And I think for us to, particularly for if you're verbal and verbose like myself is to be able to discipline ourselves from giving quick answers and instead being able to pause and ask questions out of what we hear not for data but for reflection so as people share things to be able to catch myself and rather than you know if i ask you diane how did that thing go that you told me you were going to do this morning my tendency would and you say oh it was great my tendency would be able to say fantastic and move on rather than just pause and ask a question and say, wow, what in particular was great about that? Or what did you do to make it, make it participate in it being so great? How did you contribute to, to make that happen? Because that's what makes it a learning conversation. And it doesn't need to take a lot of time, but it means me changing my reflex from moving on too quickly to being able to seize the opportunity um, to draw out just a little bit more learning or insight from you. You shared that creating a safe space is something that's also really important in a just any conversation, really. So how do you think someone can cultivate that kind of space? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it comes from being safe in ourselves, doesn't it? Right? I think we cultivate for others when we're comfortable in our own skin and able to kind of center and be present. I think we create that for others. So you know, for me, I think a lot of it's doing my own inner work, meditation, contemplation, 
doing my own work in terms of recognizing my triggers so I'm less apt to get triggered or when I get triggered, being able to kind of come back to that place of centeredness. It almost sounds like self-awareness is something that helps people create safe spaces. So how do you feel like self-awareness even plays into coaching? Oh, I think it's huge, both for the coach and the client. Because as a coach, I'm trying to facilitate self-awareness for the other person so they can grow. But without my own self-awareness, I think my capacity to create that safety is limited. Emotional intelligence is so important to coaching because we're really wanting to tune in to the other person. And if I am not aware of my own emotions, my own triggers, or able to read and, and, and support theirs, you know, I can get into trouble. And so I think for coaches to be able to uh, recognize emotional intelligence, learn, grow, you know, there's lots of great assessments out there that can help us just be more aware of where we're not aware and seize opportunities to grow. As we build that capacity in ourselves, I think in, in turn, we are able to contribute that to the spaces we create in our relationships. Now, coaching is about tuning into the other person and helping them, but do you ever find yourself just getting hooked onto the conversation and you find yourself um, investing too much emotionally into what they're saying and what you're saying is no longer objective? How do you get yourself unhooked and just remain in the center and remain objective? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I do coaching supervision and meet with somebody because for me, it's a lot about reflecting as a professional coach, reflecting on what I'm doing, reflecting on my practice, realizing where I tend to get triggered, where I might've gotten triggered. Um, for people that aren't meeting with somebody professionally to do that kind of reflection, just after we have conversations to be able to go back and reflect, where, where did I feel like I was present in this conversation and where did I feel like maybe I wandered or I got hooked? You know, Richard Rohr says, it's not that we work hard to change ourselves, but we notice those things in us where we're not fully showing up. And as we're able to better notice those things that they can melt away. And I think for me, it's that sense of just noticing and, and not shaming myself or condemning, but, but re, re disconnecting, I think was the word you used, just disconnecting enough to um, recognize, hey, it's about them. It's not about me and kind of recentering myself so I can be present for them. Hmm. And it almost goes back to self-awareness again, like how aware of you of your triggers, of your emotions, all of that plays into being a coach too. So if a church leader wanted to implement more coaching into the discipleship process or their staff meetings, whatever it is, what are some barriers that they have to go over? And I know you already talked about um, a few of them already, but um, what are some barriers that people should be aware of? I think as people seek to implement more of a coaching culture in the environments they're in, I think it's key to recognize it's not just about doing the coaching, but it's about having the whole values of the culture support that kind of framework. And the framework involves recognizing that people are valuable. You know, they're not just cogs in a wheel to manage, but they're people with gifts to contribute. And if I somehow think I'm the smartest one in the room as a pastor, as a leader, I'm in trouble. It's hard to coach when you think you're the smartest one or you have all the answers versus if I can recognize everybody's got things to contribute. And my role as a leader is to bring that out and bring out the best in other people. I think that kind of mindset and posture carries over to the kind of environment I create, create and the, the receptivity for coaching questions and coaching kind of skills to come into that place. People knowing they're not being interrogated, but they're being invited to explore and contribute better. So then what is a good first step to creating that coaching culture at a church? 
Yeah, well, I think, you know, I think for a lot of folks is to, rather than go read 10 books, I'd say go read just enough, just enough to have some things to practice or listen to this podcast. Because for us, uh, you know, it's taken me 19 years of coaching to get here and people say, oh, it looks easy. And I think it's because I've gone to the gym. You know, the first time you go to the gym, you're flabby and the trainer tries to help you and you don't have good posture and you have you know, they're pointing out muscles you didn't know you had. And to just kind of start coaching at the level of a professional co coach, you know, nobody can do that right away. But I think thinking about how can I improve my listening? How could I improve the questions I ask? What in me needs to shift to have a posture that's more empowering of others? I think books and resources can help us and give us some ideas. But at the end of the day, I think pick one or two of those ideas and put them into practice today and tomorrow. And once we do that, we'll realize, oh, there's other areas I can learn and grow in. And we can put another one or two things into practice. And over time, you know, what do they say? We move the, the piano across the stage at the church one inch a week. It'll eventually get to the other side. We can't do it all at once or, you know, <laughs> the change is too disruptive. But as we move things a little bit at a time, we recognize, we can recognize how far we've come. And so to me, it's all about the practice and implementation. Yeah, I have been able to put coaching into practice a few times in my grad classes. And I can definitely say that coaching is a muscle that needs to be strengthened. It needs to be worked before um, it really gets developed and before it even really shows. So I think those are some really great first steps. How would you encourage someone listening to this podcast right now who might be intimidated by the idea of coaching and don't really know where to start? Well, there's a ton of great resources out there. You know, if you Google executive coaching or coaching skills for leaders, there's, there's tons of resources. There's one page articles. There's, you know, YouTube's got lots of uh, video clips of people doing it. If you, I mean, if we had more time, I'd say, let's demonstrate. Usually I don't want to talk about coaching. I want to give people an experience of coaching or have them see it. So I would say, look up something like that because it'll help give a picture of what this could be like. If you're looking for a book to read, that'll kind of flesh out some of what I've been talking about. Um, two of the ones I like to recommend as places to start are John Whitmore's Coaching for Performance. It's kind of a classic coaching book. And then my friend Keith Webb has written a book called The Coach, C-O-A-C-H, Model uh, for Christ Coaching and Christian Leadership. And it's got a good theology of coaching in there as well as just outline some of the, the kind of skills that um, build on what I've talked about today in terms of helping um, Facilitate conversations that clarify what people want in the conversation, invite them to consider some new awareness, and then help equip them with conversation that will uh, facilitate action for them in moving forward. Thank you for sharing those resources, because I think that will be very helpful to um, get people started in the coaching journey. But yeah, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your um, expertise in this episode, because just by sitting in one of my classes in grad school, I have really seen the value of coaching and I always go into my classes with kind of a ministry mindset. So I can really see how coaching is so valuable to the church and how it can really just catalyze people into um, everything that God has called them to be. So thank you for coming on my podcast. That was practicing coaching skills in the church with Kim Zovac. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Kingdom Convos. If you liked our conversation, don't forget to subscribe for similar episodes. You can connect with me by following my social media, and you can find that in the details. 
Remember that your story is the best story to tell and use every opportunity today to share yours. Thanks for listening.